seated this morning. Pastor Tony, thank you. Worship team, choir today, thank you so much this morning for leading us into the presence of God for worship today. I want you to reach for your Bibles this morning quickly, please, if you don't mind. I would invite you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 30. <clears throat> what a wonderful day it's been in the presence of God. What a wonderful time we've had this morning so far. And I let me just tell you what I feel like my assignment is today, that the Lord spoke very clearly to me uh, yesterday afternoon as I took some more time and just prayed for and thought about this service. And here's, the Lord doesn't speak to me every Saturday afternoon and give me details, but this is what I felt like he told me, the Spirit whispered to me yesterday. He said, regardless of the intensity of the service, how much you feel and what you sense, he said, I want you to start this message today. He said, now you're not going to finish completely the message that you start. But I want you to start and I want you to work your way through a part of this message today because there are people that need to hear what I want to speak to them. It would have been easy this morning just to kind of piggyback on that song and just kind of move into a, uh, go, go back. Don't, I need you to go back. Don't, don't, don't go back yet. Go back to the text, please. Thank you. Just right there is good. It'd been easy to piggyback on that song and just move forward and, and, and just invite you to come to the altar after the, the celebration that we've had. But I really sense today <clears throat> that I need to start this. So I want you to go to 1 Samuel chapter 30. I'm going to let you remain seated this morning. I want to pick up in verse 1. There's a screen behind me that if you don't have a Bible that you can indeed use the screen and follow along. If you found it, say amen. 1 Samuel chapter 30. Here's what the Bible says, beginning at verse 1, and I'll read through verse 8, then I'm going to jump down and read verses 16 through 19. I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. It says this, Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had invaded the south, and Ziklag attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire <clears throat> and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great, speaking of the children. They did not kill anyone but carried them away and went their way. Verse 3, so David and his men came to the city and there it was burned with fire and their wives, their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices, and they wept until they had no more power to weep. Verse 5, And David's two wives, Ohinoham the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Verse 6, Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Verse 7, then David said to Abathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abathar brought the ephod to David. Verse 8, so David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, God answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. Somebody say recover. Verse 16, jump down here. I'll go back in if I get a chance and fill in this part that I'm getting ready to read to you about. Verse 16, and when they had brought him down, there they were spread out over all the land. 
These are the people that had attacked David now, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah, verse 17. Then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled, verse 18. So David recovered. Somebody say recovered. <clears throat> recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. And I'll conclude in verse 19. And nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters or spoil or anything they had taken from them, David recovered. Somebody say recovered. Say it again. Say recovered. David recovered all. I want to take a few moments today. I'm going to talk on this thought. A season of recovery. Father, add your blessing today to the reading of your word. God, I'm... I'm very confident of this fact today, not in me or my ability, but confident in what I feel like the Holy Spirit has spoken to my heart, what I need to do for these next few moments. So, Father, as I begin this message and work my way through it, God, when I need to stop, you quicken my heart at that stopping point so you can do the work that you want to do. Thank you for what's going to happen in these next few moments, and I bless you and thank you today. In Jesus' name, the church said amen. God bless you, Pastor Tony. Thank you. I want to focus our attention today on the thought of recovery. In this context of Scripture this morning, the word recovered or recover or recovery it means to strip away, it means to plunder, it means to be delivered from. But probably the, the purest definition and the purest meaning of the word recover is to regain or take back something that was lost or stolen. We recover from a lot of things. We recover from a surgery. We recover from sickness. We recover from a storm in a natural sense. When a tornado or a hurricane comes through. We recover from significant financial loss. The word recover or recovery or recovered, it, it brings to our minds a number of different thoughts or pictures. And I want to take just a few moments this morning. I want to use the life of David to help illustrate this principle that I feel like I need to communicate to us today as a corporate body and to some of you individually. It is my opinion that outside the life of Jesus Christ, there is not a greater character study in all of the Bible, Pastor Jeremy, than that of the life of David. David, in a natural and in a physical sense, spiritual sense, as well as a natural sense. He experienced the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. David is the only person in Scripture and will always be the only person in Scripture who was identified and characterized as a man after God's own heart. It is hard for us to fathom or to wrap our minds around that concept considering that David was an adulterer. 
as the king of Israel, he committed adultery with one of his very own men's wives. Not only was he an adulterer, but David had the husband of the lady that he had that affair with had him murdered. David was a prideful man, and we read Scripture, we know how he rose up and he swelled up with pride and decided one day to send some of his men throughout Israel and to count the entire kingdom. Tell me how many people live in my kingdom. And it's hard for us to believe that God could call a man like that a man after his own heart. But here's what I believe, and here's why I believe that God would call him that, because just as quick as David was to sin, he was just as quick to fall on his face before God and repent for his sin. We can hear it in Psalm 19 and 14 when David says, Let the words of my mouth and let the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. We can hear a repentant heart in Psalm 51 and 10 when David says, O God, create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. We can hear a repentant heart in Psalm 139, 23, and 24 when David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. As quick as David was to sin, he was just as quick to pray to God and say, God, forgive me. I've always been intrigued by the life of David, David the shepherd, David the singer, David the soldier, David the sovereign king, and yes, even David the sinner. If time would permit me today, I could take several moments and unpack for us and for you the life of David. We could talk about David and his calling as a shepherd boy. We could talk about David and his character as a worshiper. If there's anything that David was known for, it was the fact that this man had a heart that was passionate for God and out in that field tending sheep and with a harp in the fold of his arm because they made him small enough, he would put pen to parchment, Brother Gene Turpin, and write some of the most beautiful, melodious worship songs we've ever read. I, I quoted one earlier this morning out of Psalm 100, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. He goes down and says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving giving, come into his courts with praise, be thankful unto him and bless his name. We can see the worship and the dependence upon God when he pins that well-worn passage that we have preached in pulpits and used in funerals and, and quoted on a ball field and maybe in a break room at work, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters, he restores my soul, he leads Leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of 
of the Lord forever. David was a worshiper. We could talk not only about David and his calling and David and his character, but David and his conquest. This man was a military strategist. He knew how to fight. There's none greater than the time he stood before that 10-foot tall, uncircumcised Philistine giant who stood down in that valley belching out and bellowing out blasphemies against the God of Israel. And David stood there that day and he defied Goliath that you come to me with a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts of Israel whose armies you have defied this day and with a slingshot and one of those five smooth stones that he had bent down from a brook and picked up David flung that stone into the forehead of that great giant who was a champion of the Philistines the Bible said knocked him down killed him took out Goliath's sword stood over top of him and severed his head off David was a man of conquest we could talk about David and his coronation when he finally ascended to the top the top position in Israel as the king but it's the scene in 1 Samuel 30 and some chapters that precede it. It's the scene in this season of his life that piqued my interest. When we get to 1 Samuel chapter 30, David for years has been running from the present king of that time, a man by the name of Saul. David has been ducking in and out of caves for years He's been hiding in the mountains and the clefts of the rock trying to hide from Saul who had become jealous and paranoid and and so full of anxiety thinking that young David was trying to take the throne from him. Because after David defeated Goliath in that epic battle that day in 1 Samuel chapter 17, David joined himself to Saul, became his loyal servant, became a part of Saul's kingdom, deserving him. And Saul would send David out into, into the battlefield, would send David out to represent Saul and Israel to do battle. David was a military mastermind. Now, I don't read of one place in Scripture that David was ever defeated in a battle and he would send David out and David would do the work of the king, the bidding of the king and he would destroy the enemies of Israel and as he would come back in from battle there would be this great processional that would take place because of the victory and the ladies would get out in the front and they would be rejoicing and celebrating they would sing this song Saul has slain his thousands but David his tens of thousands and when Saul heard that one place in scripture says that from that day forward that Saul had his eye on David. Saul was convinced that David was trying to take the throne. Saul was convinced that David was being insubordinate and Saul became paranoid and Saul became crazy and for years he pursued David trying to literally, Brother Stout, kill this young man. There were two occasions in scripture where Saul literally tried to pin David to the wall with his spear and David for years has run for his life and we get here to this particular chapter 1 Samuel chapter 30 it's connected to 1 Samuel 27 and 1 Samuel 29 David has become so desperate. David has become uh, so so desperate to get away from Saul and he's tired of running for his life that David escapes to the land of Israel's arch rival the Philistines. 
He goes to the city of Gath, the Bible says. And in a desperate attempt to escape Saul's anger and his craziness, David says to himself, if I go here to the land of the Philistines, Saul will not even think to look for me here. There's no way he'll think that I have come to the land of Israel's enemy, the Philistines. So David goes and he forms somewhat of an alliance or so the king of the Philistines thinks. His name is Achish. And David goes there to the royal city. And after a few days there, he looks at the king and the Philistines and says, it's just not good that, that your servant be here in the royal city with you. Pick some town in the country, some place in the city, just somewhere that you can give to me and my men. See, David had 600 men with him, the Bible said. Those 600 men had wives. Those 600 men and their wives had children. David had two wives. It was legal back in that day. God bless their soul. I'm thankful for one. I think I'll just keep one. They had, they had multiple wives. And they, she's a good one too, but I'll take one. It's enough. And they had children. And David said, give us some town, some place we can go to. And we can, we can take our families to. So the king of the Philistines gives them a city called Ziklag. And David takes his family, his wives, his children, those 600 men, their wives and their children. And he, he sets up camp and sets up a home place, if you will, in Ziklag. Ziklag became a command post for David and his men to go out and make raids and to destroy some of the enemies of the Israelites. However, the king, stay with me in this story, I'm going to get to where we're going. The king of the Philistines thought that David was eliminating the enemies of the Philistines, but David, in, 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 his, in his wise strategy, in his battle strategy, he would go in and he would attack uh, some of the people groups, the Bible said called the Gezerites and the Geserites, and there was a group of people called the Amalekites that David uh, had, had attacked one day. And the Bible said he would completely and totally eliminate them and destroy them. So they could never go back, any of them, and say to the king of the Philistines, David has been here, and David has attacked us. So David, for, for many months, he, 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 he followed this battle plan, and he fought against the enemies of Israel, and he would go back to the king of the Philistines. And the king of the Philistines would say to David, where have you been? Where have you come from? And David says, I've been in the southern town of Judah, the southern part of Israel, here and there. And, and, and Achish never really asked David who he was fighting against, but the king of the Philistines just assumed that David was fighting against his own people, when in reality, David was fighting for the cause of his people and taking out the Gezerites and the Geserites and, and the Amalekites. And, and as we read on, uh, the, the, the scene begins to shift. And in 1 Samuel chapter 29, is everybody okay? Just nod your head if you're okay. I'm just setting you up, so just give me another few moments. The scene begins to shift. And we read that the Philistines and the Israelites are setting themselves up in battle array. They are preparing one more time to go out and fight against each other. If you look all through the pages of the Old Testament, you'll read story after story about battle after battle between the Philistines and the Israelites. And they're setting themselves up in military rank. Both armies are preparing to go and fight against one another. It just so happens that David is back in the capital city of Gath where the Philistines reside. He and his men just happen to be in the back of the line where the Philistines are setting themselves up to go into battle. Some of the officers are walking through the camp and they spot David and his men and they come to King Achish and say, King Achish, have you seen these Hebrews here? What are they doing here? They, they cannot be here with us fighting. They may defect and turn their backs on us and the king says, oh no, this is David and his men. They've been loyal to me or so the king thought. And the officer said, don't, don't you know this man? David's reputation preceded him. They said, this is God. I feel the Holy Ghost today. This is the man with the women 
women would come in, they would sing, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. They, they can't be here. What if they turn on us? They'll, they'll take the whole army out. So the king calls David says, David, I'm sorry. I know you've been a loyal servant to me, and I know you've been faithful to me, and I find no fault in you. But, but these men of the city, these officers in my army, they're not comfortable with you being here. Take your men, David. I love you, son. I appreciate all you've done for me. The king was oblivious to what was going on. You need to go back to Ziklag. And from Gath to Ziklag, it is a three-day journey. So David gathers his men, and they begin to finally make their way back to that little place that the king of the Philistines had given to David about a year and four months earlier. Follow the story in the scripture. You'll see the time frame there. And David and his men begin to to make their way back. I'm going to do my best to be done about 12 or 5 after because I'm not going to get through all this, but just bear with me for a moment. And this three-day journey from Gath to Ziklag is going to end in what is quite possibly David's worst nightmare. As they get closer to Ziklag on that third day, Brother James Hanks, you would expect that with 600 men's wives and their children, that there would be all kind of noise. There would be the sound of children playing. There would be the sound possibly of women running through the camp and working and cooking and doing all the things that they did when their husbands would go out to war. But as David gets closer, he notices that it is strangely quiet. It's, it's almost eerie-like. He hears nothing. Maybe they're all in their tents. And as they get ever closer to Ziklag, David begins to see these little puffs of smoke that are going up. He gets a little bit closer, and those puffs of smoke have become billows of smoke. He's a little concerned at this point. I'm just imagining here, because the Bible doesn't give me detail, but maybe looking at some of his men going... I don't hear anything. We don't either, David. I don't, I don't see anybody. We don't either, David. Do, do, you, see, do you see the smoke? Well, I see it, David. What could that be? And as they finally get to Ziklag, David's worst fears have become true. The place has been ransacked. The wives and the children have been kidnapped. Everything they own has been stolen. And the city has been set on fire. And if there was ever a group of people that needed a season of recovery, it was David and those men. Give me, will you, can I have just a few minutes? Is, is that okay? Can I have a few minutes? Let me, let me, I've got to do this. I feel like the Lord wants me to do this. I'm, I'm going to plow my way through a part of this, and then we're going to, I don't know what we're going to do. We're going to do something. There's a formula for recovery in this story. And I'm convinced with all of my heart today that there's people in this place this morning that you've been through some stuff, and you've not fully recovered from it yet. Here's the first thing that David did that helped him recover. First of all, David saw S-A-W. What did David see when he got there that day? He saw complete devastation. Notice the wording the Bible uses. It had been attacked. It had been invaded. It had been burned. People had been captured. 
All of the wives, all of the children are kidnapped. Oh, now, now, now you got to understand the people group that attacked them, they didn't kill the wives and children. They, they, they kidnapped them and took them away. They burned the entire city up. They stole everything that David had. When David gets there that day and he lays his eyes on that scene, that nightmare that has unfolded before him, he sees devastation and he sees chaos. It is my opinion, and I'm convinced as I read this story, that when David got back to Ziklag that day, he was not expecting to find what he found. It, God help me. It was an unexpected tragedy. I'm going to go ahead and unbutton and give it to you, James. Is that all right? Brother Hanks down here likes to watch me unbutton and button the coat when I get revved up. So he texts me this week and says, don't even button your coat up on Sunday, Pastor. It's going to be good. Well, there, I'm going to take it off for you. And it's those unexpected events that happen in life that throw us for a loop. None of us are compared. Lord, I feel the Holy Spirit right here. None of us are prepared for devastation and loss. None of us are ever prepared. Listen, I don't sit around thinking, I wonder what it would be like to go through this. I don't sit around imagining and dream. I wonder what it would feel like to walk through a horrific tragedy. We're never prepared for devastation and loss. We're never prepared to sit across the desk from a boss after years of service and hear him say, thank you for your faithfulness and thank you for your loyalty. We're having to make cutbacks. Here's your pink stuff, and I can't offer you any severance pay. Nobody's prepared for that. We're never prepared to have the doctor call us, say, I need you to come in. The, the test has come back, and it doesn't look good. None of us are prepared to stand over a freshly dug grave of a loved one and to watch the pallbearers take their little boutonniere off their little flower and lay it on top of the coffin and walk away and us have to make that walk back to the car and go back home to an empty home or the bedroom of a child that used to be there. We're never prepared for that. Harold, you and Sister Shirley, you, you weren't expecting what you've had to walk through losing your boy. Ralph and Gail Gilbert, you weren't expecting seven years ago to have to walk through the tragedy you walked through. Ralph sat across from me the other day at my desk. I hope this is okay. If it's not, you can fuss at me later, Brother Gilbert. Had no idea what I was preaching on Sunday. It was Thursday. And he says, seven years ago today, Pastor, we got the news that my 29-year-old son had passed away. Who, who's prepared for that? Who's ready to walk through that? And I want to tell you today, and if you're a guest here today, I, I, I don't apologize, but I'm going to say some stuff to this body. This body was not prepared for what you've had to walk through the last few years. I got that crazy, dangerous anointing on me. It's going, it, could get, it could get hairy here in a minute. This, this body wasn't prepared for over 100 people to walk. 
You didn't sit around thinking, I wonder what would happen if the church almost split. You weren't, you weren't prepared for that. You didn't think about that. Pastor, this is offensive to me. I'm bold and anointed. I'm sorry. You'll have to get over it. I feel like i got to preach what God's put on my heart. You weren't prepared 12 months ago for me to walk in here and look across this congregation on the first Sunday. Matter of fact, today, 12 months ago, was the day I got a text message that said, Pastor, they have voted you in 96%. You weren't prepared. I wasn't prepared to stand at this pulpit 12 months ago and look across this congregation at 225 people that at one time was 450, 500. And even back in the 80s, I've got the statistics to prove it. When E.M. Abbott was here, 613 people. We weren't prepared for that. You didn't sit around thinking, I wonder what will happen if this church ever crumbles and really goes through a hard time. You didn't sit around thinking about that. Neither did I. But it happened. Completely. Totally unexpected. There are those of you that are sitting here today in this place. You've been through some things in your life. You weren't prepared for it. You didn't expect it. You didn't expect to have to live by yourself and be a widow or a widower, but it happened and it's been horrible. You didn't sit around. Listen, you didn't walk away from an altar when you got married and think, I wonder after maybe 40 or 50 years what it will be like to have to live by myself because i got to bury my wife or my husband. You didn't think that. I didn't anticipate when I got here. I didn't think that far ahead. I didn't know everything when I came here. It's a good thing. When I sat at my desk, I'm being very transparent. It might get me in trouble, but I'm out on the limb now. I'm going to let it break. And I looked at a finance report and I figured out I've got to somehow find a way to cut fifteen dollars or $20,000 so we can stay afloat. I wasn't prepared for that. The overseer didn't tell me that. But it was what happened. And by the grace of an almighty God that has helped me be a lot smarter than I am and have a lot more wisdom than I've ever had in my life. Days I leaned on him and said, God, if you don't help me, I can't do this. This church needs to recover spiritually and emotionally and financially. And somehow, by the grace of a faithful God, he has helped me. He has helped you. He has helped us walk through these last 12 months. And though it has been hard and though it has been difficult, and we felt the wind of the storm blow. We've heard the thunder roll. We've seen the lightning flash. And there have been some naysayers and some doubters who have said it won't survive. It'll never last. I'm glad I can stand here today and tell you that the Pulaski Church of God is still a thriving, growing, vibrant church in this community that's still reaching people for Jesus. It's still touching hearts. It's still touching lives. I'm convinced that our best days are not behind us, Gene Turbin, but the greatest days of this great church are still ahead of us. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's the Lord's church. Thank God that it's his church today.
Just don't sit down. Stand up.